the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Grounded and Growing in Christ. I'm Dan Rhoda, a pastor of Worland Park Christian Reformed Church, and today we are going to open the Bible together to hear from God's Word. This month we are focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. There you can learn more about this audio ministry. And we'd love if you'd consider providing financial support by making a gift of any amount. If you're not part of the local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Now let's turn together in our Bibles to explore what God has shared with us about gratitude. Please turn with me as we take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll be taking a look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, as we consider gratitude again. Here we take a look at how to live a grateful Christian life. And so Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of the Christian life is gratitude. All of the Christian life is thanksgiving for what God has done for us. All of the Christian life is lived as a response. Now you know me and you know that one of the things that I love and that I really appreciate is the Heidelberg Catechism. I think it's an extremely helpful tool for understanding how it is that we are to live as Christians. The Heidelberg Catechism. And one of the sections of the Heidelberg Catechism that I love and appreciate are Lord's Lord's Day 32 and Lord's Day 33. That would be question and answer 86 to question and answer 91. Now, do you know what those sections are dedicated to? This is a, a question for all of you Heidelberg Catechism experts. What are those two sections dedicated to, those two Lord's Days? Those are the two Lord's Days that are dedicated to gratitude, to how it is that we should live. And question and answer 86, right at the outset of these two sections, is very, very helpful. Question and answer 86 says this, since we've been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Since we've been delivered by grace without any merit of our own, why should we do good works? What a wonderful question. Here's the answer that the catechism gives. Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits 
so that he might be praised through us, so that we might be assured of our faith by its fruits, and so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. That's a good answer. It's a biblical answer. We do good works because God has redeemed us from sin and is now working within us by his Holy Spirit so that we might live rightly in line with his law, in line with his word, and that has good and positive purposes for us so that we can show that we're thankful with our whole lives, so that we can be assured seeing the growth in grace that is expressed in our lives so that we can be assured of the fact that we have true faith so that God might be praised through us and in us as people see our good works and so that our neighbors might be won over to Christ. Those are good reasons, those are good reasons to do good works having been saved by grace. And they're also extremely biblical reasons. We're saved for something. We're saved for a purpose. We are redeemed from our sin so that we might live in righteousness and holiness and goodness. We're saved for a purpose. All of those good works that can at times be difficult for us to do, they are causes of joy as we witness our transformation into the image and the likeness of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. We are saved so that we might do good works. And it's that salvation that is ours by grace alone, which makes it possible for us to be able to live in good works. And the passage that we're looking at this morning makes that really clear. Right away at the very outset of Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Right away at the very beginning. Here's Colossians chapter 3 verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. The message of the passage is, you are chosen and you are loved. Therefore, in thankfulness, therefore, in gratitude, live in these ways. But the fountain that leads to all of that is the fact that we are people who are chosen by God and then holy and dearly loved because of that. Let's pause at the outset and consider those opening words. You are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. This is one of those teachings of scripture that that resonates very deeply with me. I don't know if it resonates deeply with you, and and maybe it's because of, um, you know, some of the things that have happened to me throughout my life, but but I I think about middle school when I think about this passage, and I think about the fact that I, you know, you'd have, you'd have recess, and what would happen generally is that there would be two captains that would choose teams for playing various sports. That was not a good time for me when there'd be captains choosing those sports. Here's the way that that would usually work during, during recess. It'd be like, two captains, would be like, I pick Aaron, I pick Tim, I pick Stefan, I pick Josh, I pick Danny, I pick Ray, and then they'd usually be like, uh, you can have Derek <laughs> at the end. <laughs> They'd be like, no, 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 we don't need Derek. You have Derek. No, you can take Derek. It was very rare for me to be chosen. Sometimes, on a couple of occasions, what happened was, you know, picking, 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 picking. Derek, we have uneven teams. You can't play. And so I'd have to sit and watch as my friends would play. I was terrible at sports. And then, as I went to high school, it got worse because I grew a foot and I was so awkward. And so I was never chosen to play in any of those sports. And so as somebody who is very rarely chosen... This is a passage that really resonates with me. It's all right if my friends didn't pick me at recess. It's okay if I wasn't chosen in those instances. I've been chosen by God. That is way better. What does it matter if my classmates don't choose me? 
when God himself chooses me. Are you in Christ? You have been chosen by him. God looked at you and saw all of the darkness and all of the gunk and all of the sin that characterized us before, that, before we were in him. God looked at us in that state and said, I want you. I choose you to be a part of my team. He didn't choose us because of anything that we had done, any talent, any righteousness that we were able to produce. God chose us because of his goodness, because of his love. God has chosen you and God loves you. And his love for you is unconditional. It's not based on what it is that you do or leave undone. His love for you is unconditional. And he's taken away all of that gunk and darkness and sin that characterized us before we were in Christ, before we encountered his redeeming love. This is the fountain from which a life of gratitude flows. God has loved you and chosen you and made you to be holy, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what he has done. And having been chosen by God, having been loved by him, even when we were unlovable, well, that creates within us a real gratitude. And that creates within us the motivation to live for him. And let me say here this morning that there may be people among us right now that haven't yet trusted in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that today is the day to believe. Today is the day to trust and believe and to know the holy and redeeming and choosing love that our God has for us. Trust in him. And then if you trust in him, we want to invite you on this journey that is the Christian life, this exciting journey that's ours as Christians. And the rest of this passage here in Colossians 3, 12 through 17, lay out how it is, therefore, that a grateful person lives. Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message on the topic of gratitude. There are 11 11 ways that we are called to live, and so today we have an 11-point sermon. And what what undergirds all of this is thankfulness and gratitude. The only command that comes in two different verses is this command to be thankful. In verse 15, we're told this, and be thankful. And in verse 17, we're told, and whatever you do, do it to the glory of God, giving thanks to him. Thanks is what undergirds all of this. This is what the grateful Christian life looks like. This is how we are told to live. This is our dress code, right? Because the scripture says, clothe yourselves, therefore, with these things. Here are the 11 things that we're to clothe ourselves with. The 11 things that are supposed to characterize us as Christians. Because the Christian life isn't how you dress, but it's how, it's how, we, it, how we live out these things to which we are called. So here is the first. A grateful person is compassionate. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion. What's compassion? Compassion is feeling someone else's pain and then working to try to ease or to end that pain. Compassion is seeing someone's pain. It it comes from two words, calm meaning with and passion meaning suffering. It means to suffer with somebody and then it means to try to work to end or to alleviate that suffering. 
The way that we see this operating is in the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew highlights the compassion of our Savior uh, more than any other gospel, but it's, it's strained through all of the gospel messages that Christ was a Savior that took compassion on us. Let me tell you two stories from the Gospel of Matthew and one from the Gospel of Mark. In Matthew chapter 14, during the course of the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus is said to have had compassion on the crowd that he sees, and therefore he heals their sick, and then he feeds them. He sees the pain of the crowd, he sees the pain as, it, as it's working out in, in, the, uh, in the lack of health that characterized some people, and so he healed the sick, and then he fed people because he saw their needs. He suffered with them, and then he ended that pain. In Matthew chapter 20, two blind men call out to Jesus. Matthew says that Jesus had compassion on them and healed their blindness in verse 34. And then here's a story from Mark chapter 6. Jesus sees a crowd of people, and Mark chapter 6 says that he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and so because of Christ's compassion, he begins to teach them. At times, at times, Christ's compassion was demonstrated and revealed through his healing the sick or feeding the needy. At times, it was demonstrated through his teaching and instruction. Christ's compassion was not a one-size-fits-all compassion. And compassion for the Christian is the same. We see someone in pain, and oftentimes that will involve suffering and hurting with them, seeking to end or alleviate that suffering but it will also involve Christian instruction and discipleship so that we may know Jesus, encounter him in his word, and know the one that brings a lasting and enduring end to suffering and pain, even eternal life. A grateful Christian is compassionate. Here's the second. A grateful person is kind. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness. You know, kindness involves a pleasant disposition, but kindness is more than niceness. Kindness is distinct from niceness. There is something very different about kindness and niceness, though they have some qualities that might be shared. Kindness would involve a pleasantness of disposition just like niceness, but niceness is giving somebody what they want. Kindness is giving somebody something that is good. Let me try to illustrate what I mean. It's not kindness to give your children cotton candy for each and every meal, even if that's what they want. It might be nice to say, you know what, let's do cotton candy again. I know we did it all day yesterday, but let's do it again. It's not kind because your child will be malnourished. It's kindness to give them good food, even if they don't want to eat their vegetables. If your child or your friend keeps spending money and living irresponsible, it may be nice to keep giving funds to them, but it is not kind to enable bad behavior. If your spouse keeps coming home drunk, it's not kind to remove all consequences from them, to clean up after them. Kindness is saying, you need help. I won't stand for this behavior anymore. This must change. Niceness is giving somebody what they want. Kindness is giving somebody something good. We see this in Christ Jesus as well. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 tell us, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. Ah, When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. 
You see, Jesus, this passage is telling us, Jesus is the appearing of the kindness of the Father. That means that that Christ is God incarnate, and as a part of that, he is kindness incarnate. That means that Jesus was kind, even as he overturned the tables of the money changers. He was kind, even as he called out the Pharisees with sharp language. He was kind, as he reminded the people of judgment and hell, and it was his kindness that sent him to the cross for us. Is that what any of us may have wanted? A humble savior who came to die? It's not what the people he came to wanted. They wanted a king. But Christ did not come to be nice. He came to be kind. And his kindness sent him to the cross for us. Number three, a grateful person is humble. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. What is humility? Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's simply thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis is so good on this one. Let me read to you this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be the sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seems to be a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will, because you, it will be because you feel a little envious about anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And it's a biggish step, too. At least nothing can be done before it. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. That is vintage C.S. Lewis. It's so good. He goes on to talk about how a humble man could paint the greatest picture in the world, know it to be the greatest picture that had ever been painted, and not be any more proud with that information. Oftentimes, oftentimes pride can work itself out in this sort of way. Pride is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Pride can work itself out by saying all sorts of negative things about oneself. It can work its way out by saying, you know, I'm really not so good at any of this. Other people are so much better than me. You know, when I was in middle school, I never got chosen for any team. That's the way pride can work its way out. You know, whenever people are talking about how they're not particularly good at this or that or the other sort of thing, Whenever people are tearing themselves down, it's not an, indicative, it's not an indication of a, of a humble person. It's an indication of a person that's focusing an awful lot of, on themselves. You know, humility is like a road that, that is uh, bounded on each side by a ditch. On one side of that road would be the ditch of uh, self-exaltation, the pride of self-exaltation. On the other side of that road would be the pride of self-loathing. Humility is neither of those things. It's simply thinking about other people. It's rightly thinking of self as it focuses on others. Humility thinks of others. So do you want humility? Well, the first step is to recognize that you are proud. 
And maybe a second step is to pray for other people. You know, we can pray, Lord, please make me a humble person. Oh man, I want to be humble so much. I, I just, just want to be humble. I'm not good at being humble, right? What are you doing in that prayer is you're focusing on self. Humility prays for others. It's a very good first step. Number four, a grateful person is gentle as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. Gentleness is is tenderness and strength that's combined in the service of others. Gentleness is tenderness and strength joined together in the service of others. You can see this working its way out in, in several different places, no doubt. I see it worked out whenever my daughter cries and she wants her mother because she knows her mother is gentle and tender and strong. And so whenever there's a fall and a bump of the head, it's clear that what's desired is the one that will give the child gentleness. It's tenderness and strength. The other gentle person that I think of is a farmer that I met probably 10 years ago now. He and his wife ran a halfway house for delinquent youth, those who had gone into prison because of of violent offenses when they were in their early teenage or sometimes preteen years, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds that had been to prison because of violent crimes. This was a a big farmer. I I mean, I, I was astounded at how much he dwarfed me in strength and in height. He was somebody that was very, very strong. And, and dealing with, these, dealing with these, uh, these young boys that had been in prison for violent offenses, these were oftentimes young boys that had very limited ability to control their own impulses. And so they'd get angry and they'd begin to lash out and whenever that would happen, he would say, all right, it's time to fight me. Now this was not a man that fought with the purpose of, of harming any of these kids. There were, there were mats that were throughout the basement and the kids would gather around and if somebody needed to get out their anger, they would take it out on this large strong farmer who himself couldn't be harmed by the blows of these young boys and would let them exhaust all of their rage. That was gentleness. That was gentleness. A tenderness and a strength coming together to bear in his own body some of the problems of rage that these young men struggled with. A grateful person is patient. This is the fifth. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Is there any virtue that can be more difficult to cultivate today? Is there any virtue than patience that's harder to cultivate in a time of of fast cars and fast food and fast internet? What do you mean I can't have this within 30 minutes by drone after ordering it online, right? That is not the sort of environment that cultivates naturally patience. We are people that want something and we want it yesterday. We want it before we can even think of it. We want that thing to sort of be delivered. And in that sort of context, it's extremely difficult to develop patience. I had a professor in, uh, in seminary and he used to say, you know, when I was a kid, my whole life was waiting. It's like you'd wait in the corner not knowing if your friends were going to show up to play baseball, right? And you just have to wait Sometimes he'd wait for no purpose, hours of waiting. He's like, 
I don't think that kids today know what that means. I don't think that they know the concept of waiting for something. It's just not worked into the way that we live. Oh, my word, is patience difficult to cultivate. Patience is difficult to cultivate. Endurance without becoming angry. Long-suffering, having a broadness of, of soul. This is a challenge. And yet, it's the way that grateful people live. Patience. Okay, okay. It's not going to happen today. Not going to happen tomorrow. You know why? Because our God is, is patient with us. God is patient and long-suffering. It's one of the qualities that, that are extolled all throughout the Psalms about how gracious, how long-suffering, how slow to anger he is, how he is abounding in patience with us, how he's willing to, to wait. Grateful Christians act like they're God. A grateful person forgives. The passage continues, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope that we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude, to learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. I'm Pastor Dan Rhoda, and on behalf of the Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the Bible here on AM 1160. If you're not part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Grounded and Growing in Christ can be heard weekdays at 2 p.m. on AM 1160. I'm Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. This month, we're focusing on the topic of gratitude throughout the Bible, exploring how God has instructed us to flourish in the world with hearts grateful and thankful to God. If you're not a part of a local church, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.